Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3.16. We're going to look at chapter 4, but we're going to back up a verse into chapter 3 because it pertains to what we are going to be talking about this morning. 1 Timothy 3.16. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Paul is writing Timothy. Timothy has been uh, left in Ephesus to lead the church there. And Paul is giving him instructions about how he is to go about leading that church. And particularly, he's uh, uh, exhorting Timothy to... Uh, teach against some false teaching that has infiltrated the church that we'll be looking at this morning. Well, verse 16 of chapter 3. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Well, happy Lord's Day. Sunday, every Sunday of the year, is the Lord's Day. A day uh, set apart for the Lord to worship him to rest and from our labors and refrain from work. It's a day of fellowship with the Lord. And less importantly, happy Father's Day. 
thank you, Lord, for our biological fathers, our adoptive fathers, and our spiritual fathers. And I think especially our spiritual fathers. Not everyone, well, everyone has a father, but not everyone knows their father or has a good father. But we all need a spiritual father. And every man here should aspire to be a spiritual father to someone, to bring spiritual life to them, growth, encouragement, and nurture. And the same is true of spiritual mothers as well. Many of you don't have children, but you can be a spiritual father and have spiritual children. Well, today, I'm going to seek to be a spiritual father to you, even though some of you are old enough to be my physical father. Uh, I'm going to hear the words that he's addressed to Timothy, since my name is Timothy, and uh, let no one despise me because of my youth, which is fading quickly. Uh, I used to be young, at least. But I want to be a spiritual father, if you will, to you by teaching and, and, and encouragement, uh, encouraging you with a fundamental question that everyone should ask themselves. I want to encourage you with this particular question today. And that question is, how can I be pleasing to God? How can you be pleasing to God? More specifically, how can you and I, who are sinners, be pleasing to a holy God? It's a fundamental question, one that everyone should ask themselves and be able to answer biblically. Well, perhaps you noticed in the scripture reading this morning, I tried to emphasize it a little bit there, the word godliness is mentioned three times. Verse 316, great is the mystery of godliness, and then verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, train yourself for godliness. Uh, godliness is of value in every way. If you look through the entire letter of 1 Timothy, the word godliness, or the word that was translated godliness, is used ten times in six chapters. So Paul is uh, very interested in promoting godliness through Timothy into the church of Ephesus. And the word used there for godliness, uh, you know, if you think about these words, godliness, uh, you would think it would have the Greek word for God in it. Theos is the word for God in Greek. But it doesn't. Um, the word is eusebia. If you're familiar with church history, there was a famous church father called Eusebius, and so he was named godliness or piety. That's another way this word is translated. And, and I'm not going to bore you with all the word studies, but uh, basically understand that this word, Eusebia, which is translated godliness here, means our conduct in relation to God. The root of the word means to fall back. And so it came to mean through the ages, uh, when you're in the presence of something that is uh, divine, you shrink back, you, you are humbled, you uh, show reverence or respect. So the word here means how do you respond to God? How do you act in a way that would make God... Uh, pleased with you? How do you respond to God in a way that pleases him? How do you please God? 
Well, I want to look at two things today, and I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's talking about, first of all, the way, the wrong way that the people, these false teachers in Ephesus were going about teaching people how they could be pleasing to God. And then, of course, we want to look at the biblical way. Well, first, the danger of asceticism. Now, the word asceticism is not in the text. In fact, it's not really in the New Testament. There is a passage, I'll read it in a minute, where a word is translated asceticism. There is a Greek word for asceticism. It comes from a Greek word, but it's not in this passage. But it's describing asceticism. Now, what in the world is asceticism? Um, simply put, asceticism is self-denial. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You remember Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So asceticism is not necessarily a bad thing, but it does become a bad thing and was a bad thing in Ephesus because asceticism was married to legalism. So these false teachers were saying things like, look at verse 3 of chapter 4. They forbade marriage and required abstinence from foods. So what they were saying was, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, what you need to do is not be married. That makes you super spiritual. And I'll explain why they thought that in a minute. And they said you need to refrain from certain types of food in order to be super spiritual, to be more spiritual than other people. And what they were doing was that they were, maybe they were adding to the gospel. When you add to the gospel, you're replacing the gospel. What they were doing was telling the people, in order for you to be pleasing to God, you need to follow these certain rules. And the better you did that, the more pleasing to God you were. Therefore, it's legalism. I'm going to follow the law. I'm going to follow a set of rules in order to get God to like me. And Paul says, that's the teachings of demons. More on that in a moment as well. Asceticism. Now you think, I don't think of myself as an ascetic. I've never read any books on asceticism. And I don't put uh, on my profile on Facebook, uh, you know, I'm an ascetic. But it's our natural way of thinking. Uh, we, by default, fall into that way of thinking that my relationship with God is based upon how well I'm doing at whatever I think I should be doing. Particularly, you know, if I'm going to church, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, uh, reading my Bible, praying, then God has to like me if I do all these things. Or I'm not doing these things over here, then God has to like me. That's legalism. It's an asceticism that's legalistic. If I were to ask you, why are you pleasing to God personally? Why are you pleasing to God? Well, if your answer is, the funny old saying, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date people who do. Or I, I read my Bible, I study, I pray, and go to church. Or, uh, or I'm not like those immoral people you see across the street or on the news. You'll notice that that's all about what you do. 
your works. The evangelism explosion they used to ask a question. If you were to die tonight and if you were to die tonight and stand before God and he asked you, Why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And you know, if you say, Well, I do this and I do that, and I'm a pretty good person, well that's the wrong answer. Because you're relying upon yourself, your own works. If I were to reverse that question and said this, if God says to you, you cannot come into heaven, what would your response be? Oh, but Lord, I never did this. I'm not as bad as that person. Uh, or Lord, I've, I've done this. That's the wrong answer as well. You'll notice it's all about me. I did this. I, I, I. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But Lord, I, Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's kind of the I, 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 but here they're the we, we, we. Lord, we prophesied, we cast out demons. We did many mighty works in your name. Those are all nice, great, wonderful things to do. But see, they were using it as the basis of their acceptance for God, before God. Now these guys in Ephesus, the original people, thought that, uh, and it was, a, it was a common pagan idea, and it was also tended uh, in, the, in, the, in the Jewish philosophy, that the material world is evil. Dualism. You have the, the physical, material world, and then the spiritual world. The material world is evil, the spiritual world is, is good. So you need to remove yourself as much as possible from the material world. Uh, don't eat certain things. You know, don't indulge in physical pleasures. Don't get married. You're better off if you don't get married. And if you get married, then uh, no sex because that's, that's uh, pleasurable and that's bad. That teaching went all the way through the medieval, even into the Victorian times. These are good things that God has given us. He's given us food to eat. He's given us marriage. He gave us that before the fall. But these people were saying, you know, you got to get rid of the material, physical pleasure in order to be really spiritual. I said before that we all kind of fall into this way of thinking. Now, nobody here is saying you need to refrain from being married or you can't eat certain foods. I mean, we have potluck every month and we bring it all out. And we enjoy it. And it's a good thing. So their context is a little different than ours. We're quite the opposite. We're overindulgers in food. Uh, we don't even bother with marriage in our culture anymore. But we do it in certain ways. I myself 
when I was a young believer in high school, defined my Christianity by my actions. I was faithful to attend church, sure. And, uh, and I didn't drink alcohol or smoke. Uh, I don't think I said bad words very often. I tried to refrain from watching R-rated movies. I wouldn't even listen much to secular music. I listened to Christian music all the time. And I thought, this is what makes me a believer. And as, the better I did at those things, the more self-righteous I felt, right? Because I was like, I had this list of things that I could follow and I could manage. And when I did that well, I felt good about myself because I thought this is what's making me pleasing to God. But when I didn't, I was full of shame. When I did, I was full of pride. And I looked down on all the people around me who did the things that I didn't do. People who didn't go to church or who might have smoked on occasion or drank on the weekends. See, if your life is marked with either pride and looking down on others or shame because you're not living up to certain expectations that you have put on yourself, then perhaps you are like these teachers in Ephesus and these people who are falling for this teaching, uh, an ascetic, a legalistic ascetic. Let me ask you this. Do you have a hidden life? Do you look good on the outside and everybody says, oh, that's a, that's a great man, that's a great woman. But if you looked on the inside or when, what's happening when no one's looking, does that tell a different story? If that's the case, and, and it's often the case with a lot of us, and from time to time, all of us can fall into that sort of hypocrisy. So I'm talking to everybody. When that happens, we've fallen into this legalistic mindset and forgotten the, do the, the, the doctrine of the gospel of grace. And why would someone do this? What's attractive about it? Why is it so easy for us to do? Well, first of all, it's easy to assuage our conscience. You know, our sins are very hard to deal with, especially the ones that are inside. You know, when you're younger and you first become a believer, it was really easy for me not to drink. Well, I was underage, so that was, it was a challenge anyway. Uh, I could easily clean up my language. I could easily refrain from substituting uh, rock music for Christian music or what have you. You know, those are things, outward behaviors that are fairly manageable. So I could easily create a nice self-righteousness for myself. And it made me feel good about myself. But the pride, the lust, the anger, those inward sins are not so easily dealt with. We can anesthetize ourselves to the inner demands of the spirit by hiding our inner wickedness by outward observance. We all are prone to do that. It's the Pharisees, right? They did all these things on the outside. They looked really holy on the outside, but Jesus says they're full of dead men's bones. They're like whitewashed tombs. Inside, they're dead. 
They tithed mint and dill. They took their herbs and made sure they gave the Lord 10%, but they forgot the weightier matters of the law, like love for neighbor and justice and so forth. They would, they would disobey the command to honor their father and mother in order to give some money and declare it dedicated to God. It's not bad to, to dedicate things to God, but not to neglect your, and honor your father and mother at the same time. So yes, legalism and asceticism that's tied to legalism can help us feel good about ourselves, assuage our conscience. It creates a compensatory righteousness. When you can't stop being selfish or greedy or cruel or gossip, you attempt to acquire righteousness by abstaining from things that even maybe God has left you free to do, like eat certain foods or do certain other things. Well, Paul addressed this same issue in the Colossians, uh, in his letter to the Colossians. If with Christ, he says in Colossians 2.20, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. In other words, this heresy that was being taught in the Colossian church was ascetic in nature. You shouldn't touch this, you shouldn't eat that, you, you can't uh, do certain things. You're doing this according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism or self-humiliation, is the word there, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And that's the kicker right there. Asceticism and legalism cannot, it has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can give yourself a list of rules and try to live with it and clean yourself up for God, but you are not going to stop the indulgence of the flesh by your own efforts. Notice how he describes it in all its perniciousness in 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith. If this is our way of thinking. We have departed from the faith. We're no longer trusting in Christ. We're trusting in ourselves. We've departed from the faith. By, de by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's how serious this error is. Two, verse two, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared through the hypocrisy of liars, is the word there, whose consciences are serious. So these teachers were big hypocrites. And their consciences were seared. They didn't even know anymore that they were teaching error. And they were, they were spreading falsehood. They were teaching deceitful things, demonic things, because... It took them away from looking at Jesus and the gospel of grace. It's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Take your eyes off Jesus, put them on yourself, and depend upon yourself and not upon Jesus.
one of our one of you <clears throat> told me about a pastor that was like this. Uh, this pastor apparently regularly said, you know, you, you need to turn off your TV and give away your TV and harped on that a lot. And when my friend went to visit the pastor, he had like a 52-inch TV at his house. It's the teaching of demons because it takes you away from Jesus. Now let's look at the flip side in the next few minutes. Of course, the value of godliness. The value of godliness. Now we said that means piety, conduct in relation to God. How do I please God? <clears throat> How do I respond to God? Notice in verse 16, that's why I included this. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. Uh, last week we talked a little bit about this verse. A mystery is something that was hidden, but now has been revealed. It's, it's not a mystery really anymore, other than that it once was hidden, but has now been revealed. The great question, how can I please God, that has been asked for centuries has now been answered. The mystery of godliness has been revealed. What is it? He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. How can you be pleasing to God? How does this, what is the answer to this question? It's Jesus. Notice what it doesn't say. The mystery of godliness, the key to godliness is you need to abstain from this food or this drink or this activity and you need to do this, you need to do that. It doesn't say anything about what you or I do. It tells us everything that Jesus did. And that's the crux of the matter. How can you be pleasing to God? Look to Jesus. Notice what he says to Timothy. See, this is not, this is not asceticism. This is not us doing something. It's us looking to Jesus and what he has done for us and resting in that. Paul goes on to tell Timothy in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Of course, because you're proclaiming Christ. You're doing what you're called to do. Being trained in the words of the faith, faith in Jesus, and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, this seems to go against. We need to have some discipline, right? While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, like Paul says to Timothy, I'm not telling you, you don't need to worry about your, your morals. You don't need to worry about your church attendance or reading the Bible. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's wise to refrain from certain activities. It's wise and, and it is right and, and wrong not to do certain things. You know, alcohol, for example. It is right and wise for some people to refrain. It's always right for some people who, who use it to do it in moderation. It's never right to be drunk. 
That's what the Bible teaches. So don't get me wrong. I'm not, talk, I'm not saying it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter about spiritual disciplines. Those things do matter. But not as a basis for your acceptance with God. It's a response to those things that God has done for you. Verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on my own works? No, on the living God, who is the Savior of all people. He's the only Savior anybody ever has, especially for those who believe. Then he goes on, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example to all the believers in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Till I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. See, he's, he's saying, keep on proclaiming Jesus, the good news about Jesus, and don't get over here on legalism. Jesus has done it all. Keep telling people to put their trust in Jesus. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching because we tend to slip into legalism. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, Christian self-denial. Jesus said, deny yourself. When he said that, he wasn't saying a specific set of rules. He was just saying, look, deny yourself means to follow me and means you must deny yourself going the way you want to go, the way you think is right or the way you uh, desire and take up your cross like I did and follow me. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't follow yourself. You've got to take up your cross like Jesus did and follow him daily. That's what Christian uh, self-denial means. But it has to come with a desire to follow Jesus. And that comes when we look at what Jesus has done for us. He died on the cross for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. We, We are forgiven. We're free from guilt. We have been renewed. We're new creatures in Christ. We've been adopted into his family and we're being sanctified. We're being made more holy. Sometimes we, it doesn't look like it, but the Lord is working in us if you're truly his child. The Gospel Reformation Bible sums it up nicely. Legalism imagines, I will do this thing to gain merit or standing before God. While godly training says, I will do this because I love God and want to please him. Why would you love God? Because he first loved you. Paul's command to train yourself for godliness is not self-generated works righteousness because it is Christ, the mystery of godliness, who indwells and compels all true spiritual discipline. The entire command drips with grace. See, godliness is crucial in the church, but it's got to be the right kind, not the legalistic kind but the grace-driven kind. And that's when we'll make a difference in the world and in the church. Godliness is a value in every way, Paul says. It holds promise for the present life. 
Some people think, oh, I don't want to be pious. Piet. Don't want to be a pietist. Don't want to be godly. But that's the way God has created us to be. And when we are that way, then we're really living life like we were designed to. And it also has promise for the life to come. We'll be in heaven with the Lord, this Lord that we love and serve, and we'll see him face to face as we sang a bit ago. And won't that be a joy to really see the glory of Christ. May the Lord prepare us all for that day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word again. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to really take a look at Jesus and grasp the depth of the love that was on display in his life, death, and resurrection. Grasp uh, that we should be humbled, that you would see fit to pay attention to us and do something for us that we could not do ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would help us to get rid of our pride and our selfishness and give ourselves to you. Forgive us, we pray, for our many sins. Cleanse us, renew us, help us to know what it means to delight in the Lord. And Lord, we do pray that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and, and really savor that throughout the rest of our lives into eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.